coming up to Purim, hit the second Adar, so Mishinichnas Adar Marabim Simcha. There's a din, there's a locha, that Adar, there's an increase of Simcha. And the duke that people make in terms of their understanding of the nature of the role of Simcha in our life is that if when Adar comes we increase our degree of Simcha, of happiness, of joy, of contentment, of vibrancy in our lives, and when we get to of Mamat in the Simcha, we decrease the degree of joy that we're experiencing, it means in the period in between those two times, the default setting is one of Simcha. Simcha is looked upon being in a state of joy, exuberance, is looked upon as the natural emotional state of, of a Jew. That's what, that's what we're meant to that's where we're meant to be doing, that's what, how we're meant to be living on a constant basis. And yet, there are many times when we struggle, and sometimes to the degree that the overriding, the theme of our lives in the emotional sense of the word is not simcha, it can be frustration, it can often be anger, it can be depression, it can be um, lack of direction, confusion. There's a lot of other emotions which make up the thematic current of our lives other than Simcha. And that, we'll soon see, is not only not ideal, it's deeply problematic. The Balatanya says... Bram, Perk Chofvav, Kagoin Da, Tsarek Ladu, Klal Godel. He reveals to us a basic principle. Kikamoishin, it's Ochen and Asech Dover, Gashmi. When a person is fighting a battle, he's in a wrestling match. Kagoin Shnam Noshim, Amis Avkim, Zem, Zel, Hapil, Zeze. Two wrestlers, each one trying to pin the other down. What happens if one of the wrestlers is heavy, lethargic, ukvedus, yunutzach bakal. He'll be easily vanquished. Even though he's a better wrestler, he's stronger, he's more powerful, but his lethargy, his lack of enthusiasm, will be the cause of his defeat. Now, if we speak about the Yetzer as a battle, and we're in a wrestling match with an opponent, He says, it's impossible to beat the Yetzer with Atzlus and Atzlus. If a person is not happy, a person is not on the peak, he's not in the right mood, he's not in the zone, you don't stand a chance. The only way you stand a chance to combat the Yetzer 
is if you're in a state of elevated consciousness where there are no worries on your mind, there's nothing bothering you, there's no emotional baggage weighing you down, you're open. When you're open, then the battle begins, and then you stand a chance. But until you get to that stage, it's really a waste of time. There we go. End of the schmooze. <laughs> 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 Thank you. So it seems as if the, the Balatanya the presents it as a little bit of an um, inevitable requirement. And without it, without this feeling of simcha, so without the state of simcha, really we ain't going anywhere in our ruchnistika world, in our spiritual development. So that, that's pretty... But the problem is, lemaisa. if things were going well, I would be more than happy to be happy. <laughs> I've got nothing against being happy. The problem is my life. It doesn't support happiness. Because, I mean, first of all, you know, bochim, boch, I mean, that's me personally. I don't know about you guys, but don't bochim drive you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they just, they just not, they're not so, they're not, they're, they're not a cause of simcha. <laughs> <laughs> oh. In other words, on, a, on you're right, you're right, you're right. They, they're not. One wouldn't naturally assume, of course, the more sophisticated, see in every bocha, abundant potential for not only joy within yourself, but joy-producing mechanisms. But the. Life doesn't necessarily support that because life, life. If you know, I don't know if you guys did. You ever think life was lechatchila, and then you realize life is lechatchila, but the evet. There could have been too many yeshivish words in a short space of time. I apologize. Lechatchila <laughs> means things are meant to go the way they should. Everything's in order, is perfect. But the other means when things don't go the way they should, so then you make compromises <coughs> and you do it this way and you could have done that way. And you, you, you know, for example, for example, for example, I mean, there are people, now you won't believe this, supposedly, because there are people that sometimes miss the time for Shachris and Aminion. What? I know, I know. No, no it's, it's, it's a little bit strange. I mean, obviously, it's, it's very rare and certainly not prevalent amongst those seated in this room today. But there, there, are, there are those, there are those that will occasionally miss a shachri. So what happens is the, the young man uh, awakens himself to um, the light streaming down on his face and he realizes that the distance between him and the obligatory shear that he has to attend is but 30 minutes. So that's called a bidi ever shachris. Meaning he has a choice. Really, he would have liked to have got up 20 minutes before davening and learned a little bit beforehand and got himself into the mood and davened with the whole, wholehearted, devote. But he didn't, so he has to deal with the bitty of it. And that's pretty much life. Meaning, life is lechatchila bitty of it. Things generally go wrong. They go wrong. They go wrong. The way you planned... Your Shabbos meal, even if you think things go right, they, they, the truth is, there's a, small, there's a small gap of time where you can actually fool yourself into thinking that things go right and you can maintain it artificially. It's called being a bocha. You can, like, you can wing it for a while because your life is so closed and self-centered and so concentrated on you and only you, so therefore 
unless something goes wrong with you, nothing can go wrong. <laughs> but no, I mean that. I don't mean that as 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 an as, as I'm not meaning as an insult. It's just it's just that there's no other factors involved other than yourself. So even even then, even then things can go wrong. Even then, your chavrusa can turn up late. Your he can be not the perfect chavrusa. Even then, the 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 theme of life is things are lechatchila b'diavet, which means life's designed in such a way, based on our premise, that it cannot produce simcha. Because simcha is that things go well. I'm happy with what's going on. And life doesn't do that for me. Life always creates these humps along the way where I'm not happy. This doesn't work out. And then you go and you... They're looking forward to the shidduch. They've been fantasizing that they're about to meet the perfect girl. And it becomes graphically clear in the first three and a half seconds of the date that this isn't going to work. So then they think, oh, how are you meant to be happy with it? What are you meant to rejoice? Things aren't things aren't things aren't lachatchila. Things are b'diavet. So therefore, there's this requirement to be to be besimcha, but really life doesn't support it. So what do you do? So I want to I want to make a radical suggestion, and I'd like to go along the path that there's nothing better to make a person happy than absolute depression. Well, when I say absolute depression, I don't mean absolute depression. <laughs> but there, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with like a good tearful cathartic cry to get a person in the right mood. <laughs> okay? And I want you to base... Uh, let's develop the idea, but it's, it's a little bit radical, but think about it. If it works, so then on the contrary, the more that goes wrong in your life, the happier you'll be. Because <laughs> the worse it is, and then you can be like really upset, and then things will really turn out well. So I want you to build it up a little bit by first of all discussing the idea of, of, of this thing that we call the Yetzirah this force which opposes our spiritual advancement. So how do you relate it? And you know, there's, there's, there's two possible attempts, uh, ways of approaching the Yetzir. There's the, the martial com, com, combatant approach, whereby you take the Yetzir on in a, a, a full-fledged um, face-to-face battle. Um, where you try, struggle and, and triumph over the Eitzah. And many people, many people would think, well, that's a way to do it. Because this world is a war, it's a, it's a battlefield, and the Eitzah is the enemy, and in order to vanquish the enemy, you have to fight, as the Balatani said in his marshal. And therefore, the way we should do it is we should say, Come, Eitzah! I'm waiting for you! There's many of these uh, ways that people can... Um, in South African terminology, it's referred to as sooking. Sooking. The way, the way it manifests itself is you walk in an area populated with males um, between the ages of 20 and... could be it's gone up to 35. It used to be 20 and 22. And <laughs> what happens is what you try to do is you try to make... If you, if you are sooking, that is. You try to make eye contact. Now that's, that's, so what you do is you walk into, say the establishment serves alcoholic beverages, you walk into the establishment, there may even be some nigunim in the background, you walk, into, you walk into the establishment and what you want to do is you want to find an eye that will meet yours. And then you do, so the first word just to introduce you to the vocabulary is called sukking, it's something you can use when you go back to Chutzaris. Um, and I don't know if it works in all countries, but certainly in South Africa, it's, I think it's still effective. I think most big cities, it will work well. So, sucking. Then the next thing you want to do is you want to introduce what's called the skiff. 
the skiff is then you meet the, the, the person's eyes meets yours and you meet theirs and then you just you let that stare linger way longer than is permissible in terms of social norms <laughs> something along the lines of <laughs> now, when 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 that when that happens, when that happens, the general response is extremely sophisticated. The person, if he takes the bait, will come up to you and say, "Hey, is that yours? Is this yours?" Pointing to his short that you may shirt that you may be staring at, and then hopefully what will happen is he'll push you, you'll push him, and you'll be able to be zoyche to a full-fledged battle. So that's that's kind of, that's. Uh, that's that's like a whole that's a whole a whole culture of, of people who who enjoy enjoy a good fight. They enjoy a good fight, and they go now. Is that the way we should approach? <laughs> hmm, that sounds. <laughs> that laugh sounds way too familiar, young man. So, what what you want to do is you want to say, well, is that the way that I should should I go sooking with the yetsahora, and when I see him, shall I give him a skiff? Now, obviously, the reason why a person engages in this is he understands that you don't do this if, you, if you're like very physically challenged. Basically, you shouldn't do this if you're Jewish. <laughs> it's not right. The, the genes don't support it. It's not a good idea. But, I mean, <laughs> you, you had a decided advantage. But the reason why a person would do this is because he feels he has the wherewithal, he's got the right size, biceps, stroke, guns, stroke, puppies, depending on your <laughs> vernacular, to be able to flatten, flatten the other oak. Now, if you don't have those assets, so it's unwise to begin in the process. So when you go out in the battle, the implication is that you're going to win, because you're not going to go there so that a person can relentlessly, or that you can relentlessly punish his fist against your nose. That's not what you want to do. Because it can be extremely painful and lead to long-term damage. What you want to do is, you want to go and the battle would be one that you'd like to win. Essentially. So when you go on your, when you go on your sucking adventure, you obviously feel very well equipped that if someone does return your skiff, it will be met with a, uh, enough force, power and skill to put him down. So the Gemara, this is a story is, is, I'm not even going to begin to uncover the surface of this Gemara in Kedushin Pei Aleph, but it will open up our eyes to a, we'll extract a point. We won't be able to plumb the depths, but we'll be able to extract a point from this Gemara which will be relevant for us, how we can use a certain broken-heartedness to bring us to Simcha. And this is a story about Plimoy was Namoya, have a rogel So Plimoy had this statement that he used to begin or say at least every day. Gira He would say, arrows in the eyes of the Satan of the Yetzirah. That's very aggressive. In other words, Plimoy's approach in order for him to defeat the advances of the Yetzirah was to be, I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to take it's arrows, shoot them in the eyes of the evil adversary. That's fine. That's what he approached. What happened next? One day, it was Erev Yom Kippur. Now, I said we're not going to understand this Gemara. The Gemara says the Yetzirah became corporeal. He took on physical form. He became manifest in the body of a man. Asa Karabava. And he came and he knocked 
on the gate of Plimo's house. Erev Yom Kippur. They saw he was a poor person. So he appeared as a poor person, manifested himself as a poor person, came and knocked on his gate, and they took out bread to him. He said, Abrahmanus, the Yetzirah, disguised as a poor person. Today, on this holy day of Yom Kippur, everyone else is eating inside and you're leaving me outside on the street. So what they did is they said, come inside, and they gave him some bread. Today, everyone else is sitting at the table, because they obviously didn't invite him to join the meal with them at the table. So he said, today everyone's at the table, and I'm left by myself. So they said, come sit, sit at the table with us. So what he did was, he sat at the table and he made himself grotesquely disgusting. The Yetzirah. He produced these warts and welts and blisters and pimples which oozed pus from them. Okay? That wasn't so great. And he was already, what he did was, he then he started to like play with his, 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 his disgusting dermatological <laughs> malfunctions. And he started to, I'm, I'm assuming he was like squeezing his pimples. I don't know what he was doing. He was doing something which is really revolting. Until Amrulay, until the, the, the family of Plimo said, Tim Shapir, behave yourself. Like, sit well, what are you doing? Amrulay, Havili Kasa. So he said, please pass me, I didn't say please, pass this, he didn't say please. He said, give me a glass. Yahavili Kasa. So he got a glass and he went and he spucht into the glass. Spucht into the glass a nice big globule of mucus. Now that's not so schmack when you're having your own Erevium Kippur Suda, right? So Nachrubay, they got very upset with him. Shako Mis, so he pretended to die in the spot. He, pretended he made himself as if he was dead. So the word went out that Plimoy murdered someone. So Plimoy got very, very nervous. He ran and he hid in an outhouse on the outskirts of the town. So now the Yetzirah, disguised as this poor man, followed him. And when you saw him, again he fell in front of him, as if he died twice. He but when he when he saw the Yetzirah saw how broken Plimo was about what happened he revealed himself and he said I'm not really a poor person I didn't really die I'm just the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah said to him why did you say that to me every day? why did you provoke me by saying I'm going to stick eyes in the Sotan, going to stick arrows in the eyes of the Sotan every day. Why did you do that to me? Amalei, so he replied back to him. Sorry, he said, So what should I say? Amalei, Leima, Mar, you should say, Rachmona Nagarbei Besotan. Hashem, the merciful one, should rebuke the Sotan. You shouldn't be the one engaging the battle. Leave that battle. Now this is quite 
quite strange because you know one of one of the things we say is that really we meant to we think that the battle of the Yetzirah is Taka the one thing that's given in our hands everything is in our hands but the fear of heaven so really the Yetzirah is the only that's the only battle we can in truth wage and even that the Yetzirah himself advises us don't get involved with me and the, we, we daven it every morning We daven that Kosh Baruch should save us from our veyers and from the Yetzirah. So we daven. We incorporate, in other words, we incorporate the lesson that Plimo learned into our prayer. But what does it mean for us? I don't know how many of us have actually processed that and understood what the implications are of our battle with the Yetzirah. Essentially, it seems to be that our battle for the Yetzirah is a battle we will never, ever, ever win. First foundation point. If you try to fight the Yetzirah, one thing is guaranteed. You will come out the loser. Translating. If you try to oppose the opposition, the internal opposition, the external opposition, in a direct, full frontal fashion, whereby you think, I have within me the strength to overcome, you will be flattened. Rav Dessler describes that this flattening process of the person that opposes the Yetzirah directly doesn't always happen one-off. But sometimes the Yetzirah has incredible patience. So what does he do? <coughs> he allows you to have small victories. And the way Rav Dessler describes this is as a spring. So a person tries to fight the Yetzirah and he says, you know what, I'm going to battle the Yetzirah, I'm going to overcome that desire. I'm going to overcome that laziness. I'm going to control that anger. And he makes progress. And he makes progress. And he makes progress. And he thinks, wow, I'm really getting somewhere. And Rav Desla says, what's really happening in truth is it's like a person who pushes against a giant spring. And you're pushing down on the spring and you're pushing down on the spring and you're pushing down the string, spring. And every time you push down, it's getting harder and harder and harder to push down. And you think, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And you don't realize that the point where it gets the hardest, that's when the spring, you've just given the spring all the energy, all the power it needs to, boom, shoot back and completely destroy you. So your misperceived progress is in fact the power that you're giving over to the forces which oppose you to actually obliterate you, to rise against you. Now, that leaves us in a little bit of a predicament, right? We're not meant to... The Baal the, says that if you don't behave with Simcha, so then you can't vanquish the Yetzirah, and he describes it as a battle... And this Gemara, emphasized by Tfilas, the Maral emphasizes the point as well, says that, and if you do fight it, you will lose. So, how do we reconcile this? And what is this attitude of, of not wanting to fight the Yetzirah? How does that, how does that take place in daily life, in our, in our minds, in our thoughts? 
And how do they relate to Simcha and the fact that if we're happy, we can be, if we're sad, we can be happy? So there's another, there's another Balatanya. Um, let's see. What he says. He says, it's also in the end of Perik Chavav. Rak lezoyt soich kviyus itim v'sha'asa kreisher b'yishuv adaz l'izboinem b'gedula asa Hashem ha'shechotoloi. A person has to think about what he's done wrong. A person has to spend time, if he wants to get to Simcha, he has to spend time thinking about what he's done wrong. K'day she'al yedei zeh ye'liboi nishbar b'emes. So his heart will be broken. Now when Chazal describe a broken heart, they don't mean what we, the common reference, which, which generally has an association and a connotation to a, in a relationship, a male-female relationship, which has come to an end. A broken heart means the expression which contrasts a lave shavur, a broken heart, is a lave batuach, a sure heart. A lave which is not broken, a heart which is not broken means a person has a certain cockiness, a certain sureness. Sure, he's very confident about his way and himself, and he's in charge. He's the gavra. That's called lev batuach. A shivering lev means all of a sudden you lose your bearings, and you feel completely, completely um, powerless. Powerless. You don't know which, what, what step to take next. You feel completely and totally um, vulnerable. vulnerable. That's a great word. Vulnerable. You don't know what to do. So he says, a person should spend time and he should create the state inside of himself with true bitterness. And then, and then he says, and when he thinks about what he's done and he confronts the many wrong things in his life and he confronts himself and see where he's fall, sees where he's falling short then he should have the absolute certainty that Hashem will forgive him for what he's done, done wrong and then he says and this is the true simcha which comes after sadness now let's put this back to what we're referring to what we're referring to is that how does, how does sadness produce happiness? Well, it depends on how we process the things that go wrong in our life. When we respond to things going wrong in our life as being disappointing and frustrating, it's because our stand is that the thing that happened shouldn't have happened that way. It's not the way that's good for me. It should have happened the other way and now I'm upset and disappointed. In other words, we're going in with an inhibition and something that's stopping us, obstructing us from learning 
and taking in the world as a mechanism of prompting us to grow. The person that gets upset and frustrated by the world going not his way is because he, he feels that the way the world is going should be his way and when it, dis- when it deviates from that path he feels there's nothing for him to learn. In other words, he's not aware of his own failings. He can't confront the fact that this thing that's happening could be a lesson for you. Things don't go wrong for no reason. If something is going wrong, it means there's something that you need to learn. For a person to feel that open, that vulnerable, he has to realize he's sourly lacking. He doesn't have it all. There's a lot of stuff that he just is not actually dealing with in a proper and healthy fashion. So when a person approaches life that way, with this open honesty, with the ability to see his gigantic lackings, which we all have, so then the dialogue of the events of life and how he responds to them becomes a very different dialogue. It starts off as being quite difficult. Because when things go wrong and I see that they point out to a failing inside of myself, it's a bitter pill to swallow. That's the words of the Palatania. Marirus. It's a bitter pill to swallow. It's very hard to feel the fact whether when something goes wrong, it's tough, it's really tough to kind of take on the responsibility that there's something inside of me that needs to change. But when I do that, when I do that, it creates simcha. Why does it create simcha? So, my suggestion is as follows. The reason, one of the major obstructions to simcha in our life is the fact that we're trying to run it. We're trying to be in charge of our life and we're trying to make everything happen the way we do, the way we want it to happen. As a result, there's so many things to worry about. Because what happens if I, and if I, and maybe, and what happens if, so when we're completely involved in the running of our life, there's no place for simcha. And things go wrong the whole time, which makes us even more frustrated. In other words, the whole default position of a person that's trying to run his, li- run his own life and be in charge of everything and control all the variables will not breed simcha. Whereas, when a person says, do you know what? HaKadosh you are bigger than me. You're bigger than me. And in fact, I can't even manage my own Yetzirah. I can't even overcome my own failings. Even for that, I need your help. What happens is, you let go. You're able to let go. And when you let go, so then when everything is off your head, so then your default setting is Simcha. Because then you feel the closest to Hashem. And then all those hard barriers that you've constructed because you have to and I have to and I and I and I. Boom. They're gone. And then you just connect it. And when you connect it to Hashem, you samach, you experience simcha, you feel joy, you feel close to other people, you feel connected. Everything sounds different. And it comes from the point of the realization is, do you know what? I just actually can't hack this by myself. If I'm in control, so then I just give up. And that despair is the starting point of Simcha. When you realize there's something bigger than you that you actually can't beat. And therefore, just stop now and put it into the hands of Hashem. And that's Harachamon. Hu yatzileinu mi Yitzhara. even the Yitzhara. It's hard for me. Rebbeinah it's hard for me to overcome the struggles of waking up in the morning, concentrating, becoming, controlling my anger, whatever the struggles are. Those struggles are really tough. 
But when you let go, what's left is what a relief. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Because now there's nothing to worry about. And when there's nothing to worry about, so then there's simcha. And nothing can come your way that's, that's really disturbing. Because even if it shows you where you're lacking, so you say, oh, great, I found a new place for growth, and I've got Hashem to help me make it through. And then your life becomes a very different place. The whole mode of living becomes very different. And then you can have simcha. And maybe that's why it's tied into Purim. Because if you think about it, Purim is this, this, this strange, secular, secular festival. A secular, why? I mean, not because? Well, maybe, but not because of that. If you look at the Megillah, if you look at the Megillah, it's extremely not from. You, you, you search everywhere for the name of Hashem, it just doesn't appear. All these, like, you know, every, every Emunah and Bitochen book written in the last 20 years has got in the first page, more mentions of Hashem's name than the whole Megillah. <laughs> the Megillah doesn't mention Hashem. But the point of the Megillah is, don't worry, even though you can't see it, Hashem is there. Esther is Hester Ponim. Even though you don't see it, Hashem is there. You can trust that. When a person makes a breakthrough, so then you're just so happy. That's the lesson of Adar. The lesson is, you don't have to worry. Hashem's taking care of you. He's watching every step. He's guiding your every, every little thing that you do and that happens to you is all under His careful supervision to help you, to build you, to assist you. And all you have to do is open yourself up to it. And then nothing goes wrong. Because it can't. It can't. And then, when you see things going wrong, you realize, aha, something's wanted of me. And then you start to feel so upset and when you feel upset, so then you start to realize how the failing exists with inside of you. That's where the lacking is. And when you see the lacks inside of you, so then that takes away the, the, the crust, incrustations that separate you from Hashem. You say, Hashem, it's inside of me. I admit it. Help me get out of it. The morale, however, does say, don't think that therefore this exempts you from any kind of opposition to the Yetzirah. Of course there's a struggle. Of course there's a battle. But a battle that you perform with the knowledge that you need Hashem's assistance to begin to even make marginal progress is very different from a battle that you're fighting with your own two hands. The battle that you fight with Hashem is your, again back to our scaring, sucking parlance, there's something called backstop. Backstop are the guys you call in when you actually underestimated the power of your puppies. And then you, you call in the boys. And then like all of a sudden they pounce in from nowhere and they finish off your opponent. Um, so when you've got the Rebbeinah Sholem as your backstop, there's nothing to worry about. That's how you walk in there. You walk in there, you realize that you can't do it. Bakosh can help you. And he will. That's what you have to do. And then there's no, re- there's no room for stress. There's no room for daiga. Just let go. That's Adam you could just be happy because Hashem's he's, he's, well, he's completely in control of every little tiny minute detail of your life that's a lesson of Purim that's a lesson of Adar that's a lesson of Emunah and that's one of the most ba- it's something to work on it's not something that of course happens at the drop of a hat but it's something that when you have the right focus you can let go more and more and ironically, the more you let go, 
the bigger the person that you can become. Because if you try and make, if you try and fight it yourself, you're a very limited being. When you open up and you've got Hashem behind you, He's unlimited. So the people, the ones that succeed, are the ones that know to let go. And the ones that can't succeed are the ones that try to hang on to everything themselves. Thank you.